Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. All right, look at this word, traction. Traction or tractive force is the force used to generate motion between a body and a tangential surface through the use of dry friction. Did you know that, Abel? Well, now you do. When we use the word traction in relation to driving, it is the resistance between the tire and the ground in reaction to torque being exerted by the wheel axle under engine power, or to put it more simply, your car tires literally transfer energy to the pavement. That's pretty cool, right? That's what traction is. Traction is what keeps your car on the road. The more traction you have, the more stable your car is. If you lose traction while you're driving, how many people know that's a bad thing, right? Losing traction is a bad thing. When I was about 19, uh, I was working for a radio station in town called Moray FM. The station was on Victoria Street in the city, and I lived out in North Canterbury, where I still live, and every morning I had to drive a very long road called Tram Road. Who's ever driven on Tram Road? Oh my gosh, that is the most boring road ever. Like, if you've got Siri on, I turn on to Tram Road, and she goes, stay straight for 18 kilometers. It is so long. There was a land speed record was set on that road. That's how long it is. And so one day, I was driving into town, and the speed limit on Tram Road is 100 kilometers an hour, but I was a 19-year-old male. So you can fill in the blanks there. And I'm driving along. I'm driving an Isuzu Bighorn, which is an SUV. It's like a cheaper version of like a Prado. You know what I mean? Like a big, a big car. And I'm listening to the cricket. So it must have been sort of summertime. It was about 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning. It was gloriously sunny. There was a test match on. I love listening to cricket commentary on the radio. It just makes me feel posh. You know, it's so proper cricket commentary. I love it. And we're cruising along. It's just me. I'm on my way into work, and I'm coming up to a bank of pine trees that are casting a shadow onto the road. And just before I hit the shadow, a kitten darts out onto the road right in front of me. And I did the one thing that you should never do if that happens. I jerked the wheel as hard as I could so I wouldn't run over the kitten which I grew to hate, because my back tires lost traction, and they fishtailed around, and I have since learned that the Isuzu Bighorn is notoriously top-heavy, because what happened was, at 100 plus k's an hour, my back came around, and my car tipped up, and I realized that I was about to have a very serious accident. The weirdest thing happened, everything went into slow motion. Right? Slow motion. And I, I remember as I went past the point of 45 degrees where I realized I wasn't going to tip back, I was going to tip over, and then it was going to get a lot worse. I remember taking my hands off the steering wheel, putting them like this, and going, shit, fizz. And, um, <clears throat> and then as the car tipped over, when my driver's side hit the asphalt, everything went into like double speed. And it was like, whoa, like real fast. And my car rolled and it rolled and then it kicked up and then it came down on its roof and it went end over end. It was a very big accident. And then I don't know what happened. I'm just being thrown around like a rag doll in there and I, I don't know if I'm yelling or what's happening. And, and then all of a sudden it stops and the car's landed right side up 
on its tires, facing 90 degrees to the road, on top of somebody's fence in a paddock. And, and I remember just sitting there like, huh, am I alive? Was this heaven? Like, what has happened? And the flippin' cricket was still playing. <laughs> like, the engine was dead. And I just sit there, and I just hear this, thwock. It's a lovely straight through the covers. <laughs> it's a bit surreal. And uh, there's this huge chunk of asphalt, like this big and this thick, that the car's just gouged out of the road that was in the car with me, flying all around the place. Like one hit with that, and I would have been a goner. Windscreens shattered. I take off my seatbelt. I try to get out of the car. I can't get out of the car because the door's bent, but the window's gone, so I climb out the window, and I kind of flop like a sardine onto the grass and just lie, huh, sort of feeling like I feel like... And I stand up and I look at the car, and the roof of the car from behind the driver's seat comes down on an angle, so much so that it's touching the top of the rear tyre. Like that. And the passenger side is caved in as well. There's like there was this bubble of protection around the driver. And this poor guy whose paddock I landed in was sitting in his house, reading the paper, having a nice cup of tea, looks out his window and sees this bighorn like careening. Isn't this weird? So he rings the police and says, I've just witnessed a very serious accident, and then comes running out and asks me if I'm okay, and I'm like, gee, I think I'm all right. Like, there's not a scratch on me, except for a couple of marks on my knuckles where I must have punched the windscreen or something while I was being thrown around. I still remember this extremely vividly. It's 20 years ago, but I remember he said, do you need to make a phone call? I said, well, I probably should ring someone. Like, I'm in shock. So I go inside and I, I ring my sister because I didn't have a cell phone back in those days. It was like 1999 or something, 2000. Uh, I mean, I was 19, so it was like a couple of years ago. And um, <laughs> so I rang my home phone and my sister answered. She's a couple of years younger than me. And I said, oh, Hayley, um, I need you to get a hold of mum. She'd gone into town shopping. I said, I need you to get a hold of mum. Like I've, I've just had a really bad accident. I've ridden off the car. And I can still remember exactly what she said. She goes, <gasps> Were you in it? <laughs> like, um, like, no jokes. That was what she said. And I, remember I said, of course I was in it. What do you think? I hopped out and pushed it down a hill. Like, of course I was in the stupid car. One of the reactions to shock is you can get quite, quite angry, right? And so I came out. The police turned up, and they took one look at the car, and they said, we're calling you an ambulance. I said, look, I'm fine. They said, you're not fine. There's no way your car looks like that. And you're not like internal bleeding out, like you're, you know, you're dying, you just don't realize it. <laughs> We're calling you an ambulance. And so I'm getting grumpy now because the shock's starting to wear off. I said, I'm fine. But they called the ambulance. And uh, I had random stuff in the back of the car, including a fake gun, which got thrown out. And I remember that one of the cops goes and finds it on the road. She picks it up, she goes, What is this? It was like a pistol. I was like, like it's, it's a fake, like, I think Jared brought it from the States or something stupid like that, got me in trouble. Jared's my brother. And uh, so they call the ambulance, and the ambulance comes out and takes one look at the car and says, we're taking you straight to hospital. I said, look, I'm fine. They said, you're not fine. You're just dying. You don't know it. They take me into the ambulance. They strap me down to the stretcher. Like, my arms are stretched down, my head strapped down, and then they get a pair of scissors and they cut my T-shirt off. I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? I'm fine. Then, just to make it more awkward, 
One of my sister's friends, who had a little wee crush on me, just hops into the ambulance. And I'm lying there with no top on, strapped to this bed. And I said, what are you doing here? And she said, oh, your sister rang me. And I was worried about you. So I came. I said, get out. It was... It's the sort of thing that if you saw it on a TV show, you'd be like, that would never happen. Like, all this stuff going, it was weird. And, um, you know, I went to the hospital, and they checked me out, and they're like, well, you're a lucky guy. There's nothing wrong with you at all. And seriously, I mean, the car was completely written off, but the only thing that was wrong with me was a bruised knuckles, and I had, like, a kind of sore back for a couple of days. That was it. So when I get to heaven, and God says, hey, is there any part of your life that you want to watch on the big heaven screen? I'm like, can I see that crash? Because it felt pretty intense, and I'd like to see what it looked like to everybody else, right? Traction is good. Uh, I like this definition. Traction is the ability to hold without sliding. Uh, And I wanted to kick off the year by talking about this because uh, I don't know about you, but I need to do a better job when it comes to holding without sliding. I need to do a better job when it comes to holding on to faith without sliding, to holding on to love without sliding, to holding on to courage without sliding. I need to do a better job of holding on to God without sliding, holding on to his word without sliding, holding on to my quiet times without letting them slide, holding on to my prayer life without letting it slide. How many people think they need to do a better job of holding without sliding, right? Let me give you another vocab lesson now that you've learned what traction means. This is a word called dis. This, this is a word, this is a word called dis. Uh, this is a Latin word, and if you put this word in front of an English word, then it becomes like almost the antithesis of what that word means, because this in Latin means apart from. So if you take this word and you put it in front of another word, then that word is now as far away from what it originally meant as it could possibly be. For example, empowered. If you empower someone, then you give them authority to act, you strengthen them, you encourage them, maybe you give them the resources to do what you're empowering them to do, but you put dis in front of it, and now they're disempowered. That's like the opposite. That's like you've taken authority away from them. You've taken resources away from them. You said you can't do this anymore. Another word would be honest. We all know what honest means. It means trustworthy and true and straight up, but you put dis in front of it, and now it's apart from honest. It means the exact opposite. Maybe another one would be ingenuous. Ingenuous means innocent, without guile, just, you, you know, transparent, you put dis in front of it, and now this person's disingenuous. They're shifty. They're shady. You can't trust them. You don't know what their motivations are. They're the opposite of ingenuous. Order. We know what order means. It means everything is in its place and it's structured, and you know what's going to happen, right? But you put dis in front of it, and then it's the complete opposite again. It's crazy. There's no control. There's no order. What's going on? So traction, what would be the opposite of traction? Can you guys work it out? You see what I did there? Oh, it's distraction. Ah, right. Good, good, good. Um, The Oxford Dictionary defines distraction as a thing that prevents someone from concentrating on something else. But I like the way that Wikipedia puts it, and that is the process of diverting the attention of an individual or a group, like a church, from a desired area of focus and thereby blocking or diminishing the reception of desired information. 
Let me, I want to talk about distraction this morning because I think at the start of 2022, this is, if not one of, or if not the most, certainly the one of the most effective tools in the enemy's arsenal. I think that the enemy is using distraction as almost his number one go-to weapon. Right, The enemy is in the business of distraction, and at the start of 2022, with everything that is going on around us, let me tell you something, business is good. Has there ever been, I can't think of a time in my life where there have been so many things to distract me. So much stuff going on, so many opinions, so much information, so many things to navigate. I have to have opinions on all of these things. People asking me questions about all this stuff, so many different conversations. And distraction ultimately diverts our attention from a desired area of focus, which for us as Christians, as believers, is our relationship with God. It diverts our attention from our relationship with God, thereby blocking or diminishing the reception of desired information. When we get distracted away from God, it doesn't just put our focus on something else. It actually blocks or diminishes our ability to receive and hear what God's asking from us. Does that make sense? So this morning, real quickly, I want to talk to you about this. Three strikes and you're out. I thought about bringing a baseball bat and like swinging it around, but dangerous. And I'm glad I didn't because you've got a baby on the front row. Hmm. Yeah, it would be bad, right? Yeah, three strikes and you're out. So I'm going to give you three, three uh, distractions this morning. We're going to break up into groups real quick. If you're a guest with us this morning, one of the things that we like to do here is get other people's input from a message. So often we'll preach for 15, 20 minutes, break into a group of four or five people and talk about what was preached on. So you've just got an opportunity to kind of bed it in, saves you going home and then completely forgetting what was talked about and carrying on with your life and there's no real fruit there. So we're going to do that this morning. But we're going to look at three strikes. Okay, strike one. If you've got your Bibles, you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. I'll read it off the screen. But this is a story about King David and a woman called Bathsheba, which a lot of you will have heard before. It says this, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites, spelt wrong, and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David, the king, got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. And if you carry on reading, this story takes a very tragic turn because David ends up inviting this woman into his palace, and he's the king. You can't really say no to that. They end up sleeping together. She gets pregnant, and David freaks. Even though he's the king, and he can probably do whatever he wants, there's a bunch of other Israelite kings that have been totally fine with it. And just said, well, yeah, I did that, but I'm the king. What are you going to do about it? But David freaked out because he had a moral compass and he knew that what he'd done was wrong. And so he invites her husband, who ironically is away fighting for David to come home and he tries to arrange a romantic weekend for him and his wife, thinking, well, maybe they'll have a romantic weekend. And then nine months later when she has a baby, he'll just think it's his. Right, But it doesn't go to plan, and so he ends up arranging for this man to be murdered. It is a blight on David's character that we're still talking about thousands of years later. But let me tell you something. David did not get up one morning and go, you know what, I'm going to arrange for a good man to die today. 
He didn't even get up one morning and go, you know what, I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to commit adultery today. He didn't even get up and think, I'm going to go up onto my roof and have a wee look around and see if I can see some stuff. I bet you he didn't even think that. What he did do is he got up one morning and he said, I don't want to do what I have to do today. Because look at the first verse. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. What was David? He was a king. This was his job. It was his job to go off to make sure that his lands were safe, that his people were protected, that their resources were being defended. It was his job to do this. And David just went, you know what? I don't have the energy for it. I'm too tired for it. I can't be bothered. I want somebody else to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then everything happened because of that one decision. Strike one when it comes to distractions is they strike when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Let me ask you this question. This is a question I've been asking myself a lot, particularly towards the end of last year. Because I don't know about you, but towards the end of last year, a lot of the stuff that I was doing started to drop off. I was like, I'm done. Like, I was finished with 2021 in like October. You know, I had more, more year at the end of my year than I needed. And so stuff started to drop off. But a question that is great to ask yourself is, what am I not praying about now that I was praying about? What am I not believing for now that I was believing for? Uh, what am I not carrying faith for or passion for that I was carrying faith and passion for? What am I not doing now that I was doing? When I was at my, you know, when I was really cranking and on fire and we had a whole bunch of people come up the front and I would have come up the front if I didn't have to do the praying uh, and say, look, I need more of God. We all can look back at times in our life and we go, man, I was cranking then. Like that was a period in my life when I was just, like what were we doing then that we're not doing now? Right, that's the first thing that distraction does. Let's, let's jump forward to another part in the Bible. Let's look at somebody else. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 38. We're gonna look at a woman called Martha. And I'm not telling you anything that you guys haven't heard before if you've been in church for any length of time. But in Luke chapter 10, it says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will be not be taken away from her. I love the way the Passion Translation puts this. The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these distractions? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted. And I won't be taking this privilege from her. The second strike for distraction is it strikes when we're doing what we're not supposed to be doing. Which, if you follow the logic, tends to come after strike one. First strike is we stop doing what we know we should be doing. Maybe our Bible reading starts to fall away. Maybe our pre-life, whatever it might be. We stop doing that. That creates a gap in our life. And then we fill it with stuff that we shouldn't be doing. And it's not, I'm not saying bad stuff. Like, like Martha was literally running around preparing and waiting on the Son of God. But how many people can relate to this statement from Jesus 
You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Man, we could take a leaf out of that book. Worried about so many things, and yet Jesus says, man, you've only got to worry about one thing. Only one thing is needed, and that's our relationship with him. So the second strike is doing things that we're not supposed to be doing. And then the last strike, and then we'll break into groups, we're going to jump forward to uh, Matthew chapter 14, which is actually back in the Bible, but forward in the story. Uh, And this is Peter walking on water. And I've preached on this a couple of years ago, but really quickly, uh, they're out on the ocean. Peter and the disciples are in a boat. There's a storm hitting the boat. They're freaking out. They don't know what to do. It's the middle of the night, and Jesus comes walking out to them on the lake wearing flippers or something He's wearing no shoes or his shoes, but the point is he's walking on the water. Do you guys know that's actually not possible? Do you guys know that? It's like you can't actually walk on water. The law of physics, the laws of nature, do not allow the way that our body mass index works to walk on water, but Jesus did it. It's pretty cool. And I love the story because Peter sees it, thinks it's the coolest thing he's ever seen, and says, can I do it? And Jesus says, yes, you can, which means that we can actually violate, in a good way, the laws of nature or the laws of physics if we're doing it for a kingdom purpose. I won't ask if you've ever walked on water. I had a friend once who was obsessed with the idea of walking on water, and so every time there was water around him, he would be like, I'm going to try it, and he'd just try to walk on it. It didn't matter whether it was a puddle or a swimming pool. We were down at the beach. He was always getting wet because it never worked. But I admired him for trying. The third strike, here's what happens. Peter calls out to Jesus and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus says, yeah, man, go for it. It's going to be great. And so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. The third strike is it strikes when we take our focus off Jesus and put it on our surroundings. I think there's a, there's a flow here. I think it starts with we stop doing what we know we're supposed to be doing. And then it moves to, we start doing stuff that we know we're not supposed to be doing. And then it ends with, okay, we've actually taken our eyes off Jesus now and we're looking at all the stuff going on around us. And when that happens, that's when we start to sink. Okay, but I want to end it here and just remind us that there is always redemption. God is always good because at the end of this, Jesus reaches out, takes Peter by the hand and pulls him back out of the water and everything is okay. So I don't want you to be like, ah. I'm like, I'm three for three, man. I've like struck out over the holidays or struck out over last year. Don't worry about it. This is the start of a new year. Jesus is reaching out. He's grabbing your hand. He's saying, hey, let's do this. So three strikes and you're out. Three questions. We're going to break into groups for 10 minutes. Question number one, what's one thing you've stopped doing that you, you might need to start again? Question number two, what's one thing that you started doing that maybe you need to stop doing? And question number three, what's one thing that sometimes takes your focus of Jesus perhaps a little bit more than others. Is that cool? Beautiful? You've been great. Fabulous audience. Why don't you break into groups? We'll whack some music on Caitlin or Nathan, who is sitting back there. And yeah, just turn around and find four or five people and just mull over those three questions. Don't feel that you need to overshare. If you're a guest with us this morning, uh, you don't need to participate in this. You can, no one likes an overshare. Yeah, okay. All right. It's Amanda speaking on behalf of herself. <laughs> uh, feel free to either sit in right or, or I encourage you to get into a group, but you feel free to just say, hey, look, we're just guests. We'll just, we'll just listen, uh, all right, if you feel comfortable doing so. All right, so go find someone. That's awesome. Turn your chairs around. Groups of four or five. Let's go through those three questions for 10 minutes, and then we're done. <laughs>